Do you get nervous? Having my mother here? Yeah. No, probably not. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Booker Tov ladies, please help yourself to a cup of coffee. There are copies going around. We uh, completed the learning of the Slotim Rebbe's uh, essays on Amuna, so now we've been seeing based on the Parsha, but again, it's not Parsha specific, it's still part of our uh, support group here, our effort to exercise our Amuna muscle and to grow in this way. So this is a piece from the Slotim Rebbe on Parsha's Pinchas on this week's Parsha, also deals with Bein HaMetzarim, the three weeks in which we now find ourselves, um, but really speaks to the issues of Amuna more broadly, and of course, I welcome your input, insights, and questions. You may be familiar with that because it is a section of the davening we read every morning. Those who read the Korbanos every morning, we read about the uh, obligation to bring Korbanilach Mil Ishai Reach Nichochi, a pleasant aroma, Tishmaru, we should safeguard it, to bring to God at the appointed time. So the great Orachayim HaKadosh, whose Yeretzite was just observed, the Orachayim of Chaim Benatar, a great Moroccan rabbi, who later moved to and lived and died in Israel, the Orachayim HaKadosh asked, In our Parsha, in the Parsha class yesterday, we discussed the appointment of Yehoshua, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he, it is reconfirmed for him that he's not going to enter the land, Moshe dedicates himself to succession planning. Moshe becomes very... Um, very worried about who will shepherd the Jewish people, who will take over. We talked about the criteria. The number one criteria of being a Jewish leader, of being a leader of any sort, the most important quality the altar of Kelm said that a person has to have upon which all other good qualities come, anyone remember? Yeah. Is savlanut, is patience. The capacity, lisbol, the capacity to live with the sivlos, the capacity to sufferance, the ability to have a little discomfort, to be patient, that it's not perfect, it doesn't work out exactly to be able to cultivate that within ourselves, then we can conquer everything else. Anger and envy and gossip. and We can conquer every other quality if we first master the ability to control our emotions to be able to live with a level of savlanus. And that's what Moshe appeals to God. My successor, I need to find somebody. This is a complicated people. This is an incorrigible people. This is a very diverse people with diverse interests, competing interests. How are we going to manage it all and balance it all? It's got to be somebody with that. So right after the appointment of Yoshua, God says, you know what, I agree with you, Moshe. Succession planning, it's important. Only it's not going to be your kids, another source of great disappointment to Moshe. Instead, I had in mind Yoshua. And Moshe, who again, such another act of incredible selfless humility, doesn't protest here and say, what do you mean not my kids? After everything I put in, you're not giving it to my kids? Moshe says, okay, that's the will of the Almighty. That's also part of Amuna. Is even when things don't go the way we planned, the way we wanted, the way we anticipated, we should advocate, we show our... You know, somebody asked me a question over email, somebody who listened to the class elsewhere. It's a question I was hoping nobody was going to ask. Nobody asked it in the class. And then I got the email, so it was a little disappointing. But, um, but it was a great question. I had it myself. Last week we talked about that when the donkey blocks Bilaam's path, so we saw the Salon Rebbe said, was it the Salon Rebbe? I don't remember where we saw it, that... Sometimes when there's an obstacle blocking our path, that too is from Hashem. And one should recognize and appreciate that it's blocking us from doing something which is self-destructive. We sometimes don't understand, why isn't this working out? And why can't I get where I want to go? And how come things aren't happening the way I want them? Why do I feel like something's blocking me? Why do I feel like something's in my way? And what Bilam needed to understand was it was. 
There was a malach sent to block the donkey. And a Kodesh Baruch Hu sends us malachim. Their traffic, delayed flights, not getting the job, relationships that struggle. We have all kinds of malachim that block our path. So somebody asked me, and it's a great question, that the week before we talked all about Hishtadlus, the importance of taking, importance of taking initiative and finding that balance between initiative on the one hand and faith on the other. So the person asked me, well, when, when something blocks our path, are we supposed to run through it? When do we take our initiative, show our hishtadlis, to, to break through, run through a wall, or to run over it or around it, or to not accept no and to fight through those obstacles? When do we show that initiative and that hishtadlis? And when do we say, you know what, if it's not working out, I'm not pressing the issue. It's a malach, it's a message from Hashem that this wasn't in my best interest. I'm not going to try to make it happen. It's a good question, right? Yeah. It bothered me, and I was hoping no one would ask it, and no one did, but he did. So I, I think, I think, it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I think that the answer, an answer is, that we show our initiative, we do all we can, right. but when it still doesn't work out, that's when we accept and say, if I did all I could and it still didn't work out, it's not a coincidence. The fact that I tried to climb over the wall and around the wall and I tried to run through the wall and in the end of the day the wall is still there, it means that that wall is meant to be there. Whether I can see why ultimately or it's a mystery for the rest of my life, but I need to accept that wall as being a malach from Hashem that for whatever reason, this obstacle, for whatever reason, this object was placed in my path to block me because I needed to find another route. I needed to switch my trajectory. I needed to make a lane change on the highway. For whatever reason, I wasn't meant to go that path. So I think that maybe that's the answer is we, we should show initiative. If we think that's the best thing for us, do everything you can for it. Because right? we all know the stories about the amazing uh, entrepreneur who tried to get in touch with the CEO of the big business and they didn't take no for an answer and they kept calling and they kept working their way up the chain and they, and they broke through and is an amazing, they're a self-made man and wow, it's amazing. Well, maybe when they made the first phone call and they said, he's not available, you should have said, okay. The secretary is a malach from Hashem, blocking my path. And so, okay, it wasn't meant to be. So when do we become relentlessly dedicated, trying to break through the wall, and when do we say that's from Hashem? And I don't think it's a contradiction. The initiative is on us. But even at the end of the initiative, if we feel that we haven't broken through the wall, then we accept the wall as being a malach from Hashem. As we've said a number of times, we need to... Work as if it all depends on us and pray as if it all depends on God. Work as if it all depends on us, give it our all. But when we've done, when we've given it our all, accept the results, understanding it all comes from Hashem. So, how do we get on to that? Because the Orachayim HaKadoshir asks, why after Yosh, oh, because Moshe accepts that his children are not going to be the next leaders, the succession does not include his own family. It's a very, very, it's a big wall placed in front of him after he so selflessly dedicated himself to Klal Yisrael all those years, really dedicated himself to the, uh, to the exclusion of his children. He was absentee because of that dedication. He might have thought, at least let me be rewarded to get the nachas that my children will succeed me. But there too was Emunah, that it wasn't the will of Hashem. And he was so dedicated to Klal Yisrael, he wanted what was best for them. He was so humble, he put his own interests and his own dreams aside because God said that wouldn't be best for the Jewish people. They need Yehoshua. He would be the best shepherd. So right after that section of our Parsha comes the Karbonos. The whole end of our Parsha, Parsha Samoadim, is the tour of the Jewish holidays, which is introduced with the Karbonos. Hari Karbonos nagu kol midbar. 
Meisher who come on Mishkan. Says the Son of Rebbe, but we're not first being introduced to sacrifices now. We had a whole book of Vayikra, Torah's Kohanim. The whole third book of the Torah that preceded the one we're in now was all about sacrifices. Was all about the functionality of the of the tabernacle. This isn't so for forty years, right? We're already last week's parsha was a thirty-eight year old fast forward. We went from the second year in the midbar all the way to the last year, thirty-eight year fast forward. So now we're towards the end of the journey through the desert. So forty years they've been bringing these sacrifices. Says the Orachayim Hakadosh, why only now at the end of our parsha? Are we reminded of the order of the sacrifices? What's the connection between appointing Yehoshua to succeed Moshe? What's the connection of waiting till the 40th year to review these laws of sacrifices? Moreover, what's the connection? What's the Yehoshua and the sacrifices have to do with one another? So you'll say, well, we know the Torah is not written chronologically, it's written thematically. We often, this is a great debate among our biblical commentaries, is the Torah written thematically, chronologically? Are things out of order? We've talked about this at length in the past. So even if you want to say it's written out of order, that only makes the question more compelling. Because when you make the Torah out of order, there was a reason. There's an order, there's, there's meaning to why you put it in that order. Why did you structure it in that fashion? Why is the section of the sacrifice introduced with the word tzav? Here's a command. Here's a charge. Earlier, referencing Karbanas, we used the term daber, speak. Just communicate. Tell them the laws. Here it's not tell them the laws. It's give them the charge, the mission of these laws of sacrifice. That this is not just an instruction to Aaron and his children who are formally tasked with being the ones who bring the Karbanos. This is a directive to all of Klai Yisrael. And it's a directive to Klai Yisrael not only then, but even now. So why only here is the directive directed at all the Jewish people and not just Aaron and his children? And lastly, why is the language of Shmira that safeguard the Karbanos? Safeguard, hold on to the Karbanos. Normally it says, for example, Shabbos. Normally when it talks about safeguarding something, it's talking about a negative commandment. Safeguard, protect, don't violate the boundary, don't do the negative commandment. And here we're talking about a positive commandment, to bring the Karbanos, and yet it's talking about safeguard. So this is the style of the Salaam Rebbe. It's like a sheer Kloli and Chumash. He asks lots of questions, and then he's going to try to give an answer that makes it all come into clarity. So what were all the questions? He's quoting the Orachayim HaKadosh. Number one, why is this here? It should have been in Vayikra. Number two, why is it connected to the appointment, the succession of Yeshua? Does one thing have to do with the other? Number three, why is it introduced with the word Tzav, a charge, rather than Daber, simply to communicate the laws? And number four, why does it say safeguard, normally safeguard, Tishmeru is associated with a negative commandment. Don't violate the negative commandment. Here it's with a positive one. Those are his questions. So he says, I want to give you an answer based on the Helega Rebbe, Rebbe Limelech of Lezhinsk. We were just at his kever a couple of weeks ago in Lezhinsk, Poland. 
So the uh, Rebbe Reb Noam, Reb Elimelech, in Parshas Noach says the following: Shebechol dor vador yesh mitzvah yuchedas shealklai Yisrael lasakim b'miyuchad bedorze. In every generation, there is a mitzvah which that generation specifically is charged with embracing that mitzvah, with repairing that mitzvah, with fulfilling that mitzvah. That even though every generation is obligated in every mitzvah, but different mitzvahs have different meaning in different generations. Right? There were, there were generations where Shmir Shabbos, Jews who came to America in the early 20th century, where it was almost impossible to observe Shabbos, the origin of Hashkava Minyanim was not those righteous Jews who wanted to wake up and go to a Chabura and learn all morning. The origin of Hashkana Minyanim in America, and I say this with no criticism whatsoever, I'm not in a position to sit and judge, but simply a historical note, the origin of Hashkama Minyanim were observant Jews who had to work on Shabbos, and, but they still were committed to Davin, and that's the start of Hashkama Minyanim. And there was a generation who were challenged with that, with that mitzvah. My grandfather, my mother's father, went into education, public education, because it was the only job he could be in that he wouldn't have to work on Shabbos. Yeah. Many Jews in America had a job from Monday to Friday. When they didn't show up on Saturday, they had to find a new job on Monday, and that was their week every week. So for the Jews of the early 20th century, one could argue, I'm not the Noam Elimelech, who am I to say, but their challenge was, their, their mitzvah was, Shmir Shabbos. Rav Yashiv said, apparently, Rav Yashiv Zatzal said, that previous generations, their mitzvah was to die al Kiddush Hashem. Certainly, again, we were just in Poland, their mitzvah of six million Jews, who can challenge that the mitzvah of the six million Jews of the Kedoshim was to die al Kiddush Hashem? Said Rav Yashiv, our challenge in our generation is to live al Kiddush Hashem. That we live in a world where we have unparalleled, unprecedented access to that world and they have it to us and we have a specific challenge to live Al-Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name. We have a lot of work ahead of us, particularly of late, but that if the world isn't familiar and aware of our observant lives that are supposed to make us more ethical, more honest, more kind, more sensitive, more just, that we have a responsibility in our generation because there is that exposure and access, our mitzvah is to live Al-Kiddush Hashem. One could argue that the next generation, their mitzvah is to pay the tuition for Jewish education. <laughs> you know, every generation has their mitzvah. I don't know who is, who is appointed in each generation to decide what's the mitzvah of that generation. I certainly am not uh, putting myself in the uh, nomination for that role. But the Gedola Yisrael, the Bali and Masora of that generation, have a greater sensitivity to what is that generation's mitzvah. So the Hele Genom Elimelech in Parshish Noach says that Every generation has a mitzvah. Every generation is obligated in all mitzvahs. But there's a mitzvah in every generation that's under threat, that's at risk, that's being compromised, and therefore that generation is tasked with, with strengthening it. The cost of Sham, so the Nomel Melech said, what was the mitzvah in his generation? I guess in Lezhensk, Poland, in the time of the Rebbe Rebeli Melech, people were lax with the mitzvah of tzitzis. Maybe they couldn't wear the tzitzis. I, I don't know exactly what. Tzitzis was the mitzvah. Why does the Noam Elimelech make this comment on Parshas Noach? Because this is how he teaches, this is how he explains the famous Pasuk, that Noach was an ish tzaddik, he was a righteous man. He was wholesome, he was complete, he was pure in his generation which we know the famous debate Rashi quotes, was Noah righteous in any generation or was he righteous 
for his generation. But had he lived in the generation of Avram, he couldn't compete. So the understands what does it mean What does it mean to be righteous for your generation? It means to be able to identify what does your generation need and to strengthen that mitzvah of that generation. He was a tzaddik bidorosav. The Piyazetzna Rebbe, who we've studied so much, who I, I feel so influenced by, particularly of late. We were in Warsaw. We didn't get to go to it, but we overlapped. There was an international conference on the Piyazetzna Rebbe in Warsaw. He was the rub of the Warsaw ghetto. In fact, Dr. Bernstein actually sent me an article, Ma, that uh, at that conference they talked about that Eish Kodesh was hidden with uh, Ringelblum's, with the... Uh, in the canisters under the Warsaw Ghetto. It wasn't separate. But uh, the Piazetzna Rebbe, Piazetzna Rebbe, who gave sermons in the Warsaw Ghetto, I don't care what rabbi you are, where you are, how difficult your congregation is, the challenge of their, you know, the Kiddush clubs, nobody can tell me a harder place to have to give a sermon than the Warsaw Ghetto. Every Shabbos to get up and give a message of hope, optimism, to try to make sense of or give meaning to the suffering from one week to the next, you're saying goodbye to loved ones. The Piazetzna Rebbe's only son and daughter-in-law were killed by a Nazi airstrike on Warsaw. Can you imagine the next Friday night he gets up and give, the next Shabbos he gives a drusha. Piazetzna Rebbe was Sadik Bedorosov. He was a voice in his generation. He was a, a salve on the wounds of that generation with the comfort that he provided. That He was a Sadik Bedorosov. I'm sure a task, a position that nobody would want. And yet he excelled at so this is how the Noam Melech says, Tzadik B'dorosav means that our job is to be a Tzadik in our door, in our generation. Figure out, where is our generation weak? Where are we threatened? What mitzvah is being compromised? What do we need to work on? And to be a Tzadik for that. In his generation, the Rebbe Rebbe Melech understood that Tzitzis was the mitzvah. We rely on the righteous of our generation, what they think needs strengthening and support and emphasis, what they think will be in the merit of our people, that's where we place our, that's where we place our focus. Right? Rabbi Meir Shapiro introduced the Dafyomi. Mitzvah Bedorosov, he changed, he turned the world over with the Dafyomi, and so on. And with this, the Slanam Rebbe says, we can understand the famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, that the world rests on three things Torah, Avoda, and Gemilos Chasadim. On the study of Torah, on the service of Hashem, which today is davening, and on Gemilos Chasadim, acts of kindness. This is the tripod upon which the Torah stands, the world stands, and if one leg is missing from the tripod, it tips over. The world can't stand. What does it mean, Ha'olam Omeid? We have three things, Ha'olam Omeid. We have three things, Shloshadvar Motzim Esa'adamina Olam. Three things remove you from the world. Kina Taiva, Vikavod. Jealousy, lust, and honor. So what does it mean? Three things, the world is strong. Three things remove you from the world. So I was once on the Chinuch staff of Camp, of camp Morasha many, many moons ago. Um... And I was teaching Pirkei Avos to a group of girls there, and a seventh grade girl said a pshat, which was not in the ones I quoted, Rabbi Yona and others, and I thought it was beautiful. She says, you know, it says that whoever saves a person is as if they saved the whole world. So that means when you talk about the world, you're talking about a person. And what does it mean that three things the world rests on? It means that for us to be whole, for us to be balanced, 
emotionally, psychologically, physically, what does it mean for your world to be meaningful and purposeful? What does it mean to fulfill the purpose for which you are created? You need to have a part of your life which is dedicated to Torah, a part of it to Avod, and a part of it to Gemilas Chasadim. If you learn a little bit, you daven a little bit, and you do chesed. And if you're missing one of those things, you're the most amazing, sincere davener. You're saying tail around the clock. You learn Torah with the best of them, but you do no chesed, or you do incredible chesed, but you neglect ever expanding your mind with Torah, then you're, you're going to tip over. You're missing the tripod. So these are the three things that every person's individual, unique world, to be happy and healthy and functional and to fulfill the reason that we're here, we need a little bit of the recipe of each of these three things in our world. And conversely, the three things that remove us from our world, the three things which destroy our world, that if in our world, each one of us personally, we have, we're finished, are kinataiva and kavod. If you're always jealous of others, you can't ever be happy in your own life. If you give in to your lust, your temptation, your desire, you're seduced by this world, you can't ever find meaning. And if you seek honor, then you'll never be happy. So when you talk about three things remove us from the world and three things are what the world is founded on. It's the pshal of a seventh grade girl in Morasha, who, as I don't even remember her name, but uh, I thought it was a great pshat, she said. So the, the, the uh, Slalom Rebbe here says, references this Mishnah Navos. The three, the world exists on these three things. So he says, what does it mean that three things the world stands? It means the mitzvah, a specific mitzvah, that generates the, the well-being of the world. So every generation has a specific thing within these three areas for that generation. A specific thing that, that deals with Torah, deals with Avodah, Davening, and deals with Chesed. I'll just tell you parenthetically, it's worth looking, the Maharal in his commentary on Pirkei Avos. The theme, you know, if Sesame Street were to comment on Pirkei it would tell you that Pirkei is brought to you by the number... <laughs> which number? No. The number three. Everything in Pirkei comes in threes. Why does it come in threes? So you can see each of the Mishnayos is separate and try to give a shot in the three. But the Maharal sees a theme of three that runs through all of Pirkei And why do things come in threes? Because the Maharal says there are three relationships we have in life. We always talk about two of them. The Maharal emphasizes the third, and arguably if the third is not the strongest, the other two will suffer. What are the three relationships we have in life? Between us and our Creator, between us and God. He has expectations of us. We're in a relationship with Him. Between man and man, we have interpersonal relationships. Kindness, honesty, justice, expectations, relationships. What's the third one? Le'atzmo. Between a person and themselves. It's also a relationship. You know, we don't do this anymore. But there used to be such a thing as being alone. Today we fill that space because we're so uncomfortable with it, with noise. We're listening to something, looking at something. You step into an elevator, you have 30 seconds, you take out your phone. You get, you're driving somewhere, there's no solitude, there's no self-reflection, there's no his boninus, his bodidus, there's no time alone. And, and we're suffering as a result. Which is a, something for a whole other time. And I, I'm... If my wife were here, she'd be laughing hysterically at me because I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody in this area. Why is it so important? Why does Yaakov Avinu have an amazing growth spurt when he wrestles all night? Vayivaser Yaakov. Yaakov wrestles with the Saroshal Esav. Yaakov wrestles with his alter ego and comes out a better person. 
And why was that successful? What put him in a position to be wrestling with his alter ego that night? Because Vayivaser Yaakov, what's the next word? Levado. Because Yaakov was alone. He was wrestling with himself. When we, when we have that quiet, that space, we wrestle with ourselves. So when you're alone, when you're alone, I have a, a dear friend who's a rabbi and also a therapist. And uh, I always turn to him for help. And the noise in my life and the stress and so on. So I actually, uh, I was flying near him for a simcha and I made up to go in early that day and spend the day with him and he was going to help me overcome the technology, the noise and all that stuff. But he made a deal with me. He would only do it if when I landed, he would take all of my devices and lock them up. He literally brought a briefcase with a lock on it and he locked it up. Rabbi Lerner, Rabbi Dr. Lerner, my dear friend. So I did the deal. It was, he might as well have asked for like my kidneys or my lungs or my liver or a major organ. I was like, at first I was jittery. You know, it was like, it was like uh, going cold turkey, an addict who was having uh, whatever. And part of it is he made me sit in a room by myself in a chair with nothing for five minutes. The first minute or two, I was like breaking out in hives. But the third, fourth, and fifth minute, it's like, this is amazing. It's quiet. You hear your inner voice. You think about things you never have room or space to think about. You wrestle with yourself. I pledged I was going to do it every day after that. And it's like two years later, but it's coming. Any day now, it's going to come. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, the Ben Adam La'atzmo, we have a relationship with ourselves. We talk to ourselves. We're in a conversation with ourselves. We have expectations of ourselves. We're disappointed in ourselves. We have to strengthen ourselves. Bein Adam La'atzma is one of the three spheres. So the Maharal says all the threes in Pirkei Avos are Bein Adam Lamakom, Bein Adam and Bein Adam Lamatzmo. And if you read every Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, you will be able to read the threes as falling into those three relationships, as falling into those three those three realms. But the Salam Rebbe here says, no, the three are talking about, what does it mean, Ha'olam Omed? What does it mean the world rests on these three? The world relies on your finding the mitzvah of that generation in each of the three. On the left-hand column of the first side, third line down. Based on this, The generation of Moshe, what was their task? What was their mission? Torah. They stood at Har Sinai. They received Torah. They were the Dordea. They had the unprecedented, unparalleled, unrepeated revelation of Hashem. God spoke to them directly at Har Sinai. That level of revelation is never to be repeated. Forty years, it was the greatest kolol ever. We have a summer call of 20 people. It's amazing. Thank you for those who are enabling your spouses and to give to our community. Our summer call is incredible. The whole midbar was 40-year kolo. The food was provided. The shelter was provided. The security was provided. You had the kavod and the eish tamid. You had the be'er and the man. You had everything. What were they doing all day? You didn't even have to go shopping for new clothing. It grew with you. Everything was taken care of. What were they? Now you understand the chayta maraglim. Because who wants to leave that and have to go to Israel and go to the farm, go farm and go set up a security and an army and a justice system and so on. It was a noble mistake the Maraglam made, which is a whole separate conversation. So uh, what were they doing those 40 years? If that was the lifestyle, they were in this religious spiritual cocoon because they were in their adolescence, they needed that. 
They were in their year in Israel, let's say, but at some point you graduate that and you've got to now take everything you've learned and bring it into life. So what were they doing that whole 40 years? Says the Tzalem Rebbe, of course they were learning Torah. That's what they were doing. Moshe elevated their wisdom, their insight, their knowledge, their intellect. They were the Dordea, the generation of knowledge. And because they were on such a high level, when we see the mistakes they made, the complaints they made, the rebellion they made, it's not simple. One should not interpret it based on our level, we have to realize that they were somewhere else. So if the generation in the desert had everything handed on a silver platter, and all they needed to do was study Torah, they were Torah, the next generation in Yehoshua who entered the land, who seven years had to conquer the land, and seven years had to divide the land, and had to set up an agricultural system, and a army, and a justice system, and a judicial system, had to do all of that, they were the generation of Avoda. They were serving Hashem through Avoda. The Avoda literally of work, and bringing Hashem. What is the source, the root of serving Hashem through effort? I understand serving Hashem when everything comes easy. Yeah, everything's handed to you on a silver platter, you sit and study. I get that. But what is the source of serving Hashem through effort and selflessness? The source of all that is the parsha of the korbanos. The idea that you serve Hashem through sacrifice. And included in the omad, the pillar that the world rests on, of avoda, is the idea that it takes work. It takes sacrifice. Our generation struggles with this because we, we are a creature of comfort. We have access to everything and everything is disposable and everything needs to be super comfortable and everything needs to be easy. And when it's not, we dispose of it, we replace it, whether it's your car, your marriage, your job, your dishes, your whatever it is. We love comfort. The moment we encounter effort and sacrifice and work, people want to bail. They want to give up. But there is a value to work. There's a value to sacrifice. Not a value to sacrifice, you know, we, we don't believe the, the suffering servant. We're not looking for suffering. We're not looking for sacrifice in that sense. But the idea that it takes effort, it's the, the reward is commensurate with the effort you put in. No pain, no gain. Who was that? Jack LaLanne? Who invented that? Whoever invented that. No pain, no gain. What's true physically is true spiritually. No pain, no gain. Why? Why can't I have gain without pain? Why is the world structured that way? Why can't I have gain without pain? Why is it no pain, no gain? Why can't I just look at the gym and lose weight? Why do I have to? You know, why can't I go for a stroll on the treadmill enjoying my favorite cheer? Why do I have to, it has to do it till it hurts? No pain, no gain. Because within Avoda, that's, that's how we grow, right? The famous oyster produces the pearl only when, there's, when, there's, when it's agitated. And our muscles, how do our muscles grow? Speaking of the gym, we tear, we make micro tears in the muscle and then they fill in and they grow. If you don't work out your muscle, it atrophies and it dies. It's one or the other. Your muscle is either atrophying and dying or you're working it out, you're stretching it, you have micro tears and it's growing. But the idea that you could leave it alone is just not one of the options. It's just not one of the alternatives. And what's true for the physical muscles of the body are true for the spiritual muscles of the soul of Amuna included. 
We're either tearing them and growing them, they're challenged, they're stretching, they're tearing. Our amuna is being stretched constantly. We see people around us that we love who are struggling, who are suffering. We see the challenges of the world and, and the amuna muscles are tearing. They're being stretched. They're being, they're being broken. Our job is to fill them in, is to regrow them, is for them to regenerate, is to come out even stronger, to come out even better. So avoda, karbonos, have, have a role. There's no gain without the pain. It's not true at the gym, and it's not true in, in davening and with emuna. Well, why can't I just live with perfect emuna, and Hashem will talk to me, and everything will be perfect, and everything will be the way I want, and everything I ask for, He says yes, why can't it be that way? It's not that way. And if it were that way, there'd be no meaning and purpose to life. Because if you didn't have free will and you weren't challenging your free will, if you saw God and everything, if only good things happened to good people, would anyone really have an option to be a bad person? This is a very simplistic understanding, but I find it meaningful. Is that we're only kept honest in our free will if bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Because the moment we would live in a world where only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, would you have any bad people? Would you really have free will to be good or bad? What makes like meaningful is that every moment of every day we have choices. And when we make the right choices, we grow, we're closer to God, we're better people. When we make the wrong choices, we're distant, we're, 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 we're worse people. What keeps us honest with those choices we make is that we live in a world in which bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. That's what makes it meaningful that we make the right choice. To be good, even though bad things happen to good people, makes being good meaningful. To be good because good things happen to good people, who, could, who wouldn't be good? So again, it's a little simplistic and it may not be comforting to those good people for whom bad things are happening. I'm not suggesting that anyone should try to call someone you know and struggling and say, oh, I heard a great cheer and I want you to know you're going through this so that my free will would have meaning. Thank you, Yeshikayah. That's not what I'm saying. This is not for us to share with others. It's not for us to project onto others or impose on others. It's for us to feel for ourselves, for our own selves, to make sense of the... I, this is, does it for me. To make sense of the world in which we live, in which bad things happen to good people, is because the universe needs that in order for our choices to have meaning. I wish it weren't that way. It is that way. And that serves the greater purpose of life, of having choices, of having meaning. So avoda, karbono, sacrifice, effort, stretching those amuna muscles till they tear, till they rip, till they hurt. You know, the worst thing with exercise is when you've taken off from exercise and you're trying to get back into it. After that first set of squats... I won't, we all know the experience of where it's hard to get up from after that. But after that first set of squats and lunges, it hurts. It kills. You stretch things till they tear, till they, till they hurt. And there are moments in life that stretch our amuna muscles till they tear, till they hurt, till they're in pain. So the answer is not to give up exercising. When you can't try to get back or when you, when you challenge yourself with a particular exercise session and, and it hurts, do you say, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. That really hurt. You say, you know what, it hurts already, now's the time to stay with it. Because if I stay with it, it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's those moments that our amuna muscles tear and they hurt are not the moments to give up and walk away and say, you know what, I have no faith, I'm giving up on faith, it makes no sense. Those are the moments to stick with it until they get stronger and stronger and stronger. Within the parsha of the Karbanos, within the section that talks about what it means to sacrifice, 
Right? What, what do we have at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra? Adam Kiyakriv Mikem. You know, it's easy to write a check to Hashem. It's Adam Kiyakriv Mikem. It's when you have to sacrifice. It's when you have to give up. I got a Shiloh this week. I don't want to give the details away, but somebody who works at a job which is very prestigious, a government position which is very prestigious, and they have an opportunity to serve on a team within that position which would be very rewarding and very prestigious. And they want to know, though, the expertise that they would have and the role they would play on that team would demand that they be available on Shabbos if there were an emergency. And it's somewhat challenging to be able to say that that emergency is a life and death issue. So they want to know what's the halacha, is there a way that they can do this? And when I'm trying to go through the issue back and forth with them on email, this young woman, to her enormous credit, said to me, look, I, you know, keeping Shabbos, being observant, matters to me more than anything. So even if it means that I can't be on this team and I have to take a different job with a less position, just tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. That's Mesiris Nefesh. That's Adam Kiyakriv Mikem. That's Adam Kiyakriv Mikem. That's selflessness. That's Mesiris Nefesh. That's self-sacrifice. That's sacrifice. That's avoda. That's parshas akarbanos. We want everything to be compatible and work out with the lifestyle we want to live and be perfect and comfortable and easy. But it's not. Religion requires submission, and sometimes it requires sacrifice, and that's the greatest expression of our devotion and our dedication. That's where the the rubber meets the road. That's that's where it's all very meaningful. You know, I love the story of Rabbi Avi Weiss, who loves to tell when he was flying in and he needed his son to come pick him up from the airport. And his son said, Abba, I love you so much. I love you. I just, I, I can't. I'm busy. I can't do it. He said, please, I need you to pick me up from the airport. Abba, you know what you mean to me. You're the most, the greatest. I love you so much. I just, I, I can't. I, but I have no other way home. I need you to pick me up. But Abba, I love you so much. He said, son, love me less and pick me up from the airport. I, I love that story and I love that expression. Love me less and pick me up from the airport. So, uh, it's inconvenient for you? Don't tell me how much you love me. I need you to do what's inconvenient. Love me less. Tell me less and do what I need you to do. That's karbanos. It's easy to say, I love you, Hashem. I love you and I love you and I love you. And amuna, baruch Hashem, amirz Hashem, be'ezuz Hashem, chaste Hashem. But the avoda of karbanos, when the rubber meets the road, the korban musaf, which our davening of Musaf is modeled after of each Yantif is the Nisham of the soul of the Yantif. Because that's what energizes, it gives the influence to the holiday. So now we're getting back to it. We asked all those questions. We're already 30 minutes in. We only have a couple minutes left. And you can't go home without the answers. So Islam Rabbi asked, why is this here not in Sefer Vayikra? How is it connected to Yoshua and succession? Why is it say Tzav and not Daber? And why does it say Tishmaru to safeguard? We've got a lot of questions to answer in a short time. So here he goes. This is why these are connected. Why is this here? Moshe, your generation didn't have a lot of avoda. You got to travel 40 years in business class. You were waiting on hand and foot. You had everything taken care of for you. Your one job was sitting in the comfort of the air-conditioned base medrash and learning Torah all day long. But now that we're talking your succession, now that we're talking about who's taking over afterwards, Yehoshua, now you need to know Parshas HaKarbonos. Because Yehoshua is going to lead a generation, they're going to have to go conquer the land. And you know what happens when you have an army? Just ask the IDF. There's casualties. There's losses. Are they worth it? 
they'll tell you, yes, they're defending the Jewish people, they're defending our homeland. They'll do whatever it takes. But there are korbanos that come with, with having values. There's korbanos. We could stay in Gullus dispersed and not have to fight and defend the state of Israel. But if we believe it as important, it's the destiny of the Jewish people, it demands korbanos. So Moshe says to Yoshua, God says to Moshe and Yoshua, Moshe, tzav, you're going to have to tell Yoshua and the next generation, they're leaving the comfort of the midbar, the cocoon of the nest. They're leaving home. They've got to go out into the world, which is going to demand avoda and karbonos. This was not daber. Give him a shir about karbonos. Tell him some good lamdus. Give a chabura on the karbonos. This is tzav. This is your mission. If every generation has their mission, every generation has their mitzvah, yours, if the, the generation of the desert, their mission was to master Torah, the next generation's mission is to master avoda, Sacrifice, effort, service. We find an affectionate language describing these korbanos that we don't find with other mitzvahs. God says it's korbani, it's my korban, li'ishai, from my fire, reach nichochi, my pleasant aroma. What's this affectionate, beloved? Because what you need to tell the people is, Hashem loves the mitzvahs that we do from comfort, but He loves even more and feels even closer to us and have greater affection for us from the connection we make when we have to sacrifice. And by the way, I'll interrupt for one moment to say that this is no different than the relationships in our lives. Right? The, the, the love me less and pick me up from the airport, whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's friendship. When our friends or our children or our spouse are willing to do for us when it's also comfortable for them and it's easy and it's smooth, that's nice. But when we ask them to do something that's inconvenient, that's incompatible with what they want, and they're willing to do it anyway, when they sacrifice, when they make effort, when they invest, that's where there's the greatest love. That's where there's the greatest bond. That's where there's the greatest affection. So Hashem says, the Dordea, that's nice. They were comfortable. They learned Torah. We needed that. That generation, in the adolescence of the birth of our nation, we needed a cocoon. We needed to be able to live in a kolal life for a while of learning Torah. But you've got to graduate the kolal. And you have to go to the real world. And the generation of Yeshua has to take the Torah that was learned, continue to learn Torah, of course, but have that Torah that they're learning inform the army they'll set up, the judicial system they'll set up, the government they'll set up, everything that will be set up in the land of Israel. And that too is serving Hashem. That's the second leg of the tripod. That's the avoda. And why is it this affectionate language? Because that's even more beloved to Hashem. When you're leaving, willing, when you're able to, you know, to be, to be, Sincere and from and have your shemayim and well behaved when you're in kolal, okay. You wake up every day and you're protected in the cocoon of the kolal. But to go into the workplace, to go into the world, and to still maintain those values, that lifestyle, to still learn Torah and live Torah, ooh, that's affectionate to Hashem. That's beloved to Hashem because that's so much more challenging. The avoda, the sacrifice of saying, I won't take that job. I'll give up that prestigious position because Shabbos means that much to me. Whether those who did it in the beginning of the 20th century or those who still have to do it in the 21st century, the Mesiris Nefesh, the Karbanos, the Avoda, uah, that's beloved to Hashem. And therefore it says this affectionate language, Reach Nichochi, the Nachas Ruach, the pleasant aroma, it's the Nachas that we're giving Hashem. Ubir Omro Tishmaru, the last question, why does it use the language Tishmaru? Lakriv Li Bamo 
You said Tishmaru to safeguard a mitzvah is normally only used to describe a law of a negative commandment. Why is Tishmaru used here to describe a positive commandment? So here we go back to the story of Yaakov. Yosef is missing, and what does it say about Yaakov? Ve'aviv shamar es hadavar. What does that mean? And his father, shamar, safeguarded the davar. What does that even mean? Commentators there all struggle. Rashi says, mamtin umitzape masa yavo. What does it mean Yaakov was shamar es hadavar while Yosef was missing? It means that Yaakov was mamtin, he waited, umitzape, and he longed masa yavo. When would he come? Shamar, that root, shin mem resh, can mean to anticipate, to long for, to look forward to her. We learned that Aviv Shamar Asadavar, his father, longed for with great anticipation when Yosef would come back. And now we get to the three weeks. The Torah anticipated that we would live in a time in which we didn't have these korbanos, a time of destruction. Right now, we don't have Bepoel, we don't have in practice the Korbanos, so we are Tishmaru, we are safeguarding the value, the ideas, the spirit of what it means to sacrifice. We are longing, we are, we are Tzipis and Yeshua. One of the questions the Gemara Shabbos says that after 120 years when we get upstairs, we will be asked a series of questions. Were you honest in business? Were you committed to Jewish continuity? Did you set aside time for Torah study? And one of the questions we're asked is, Tzipisali Yeshua. Yeah. Did you long yeah. for the redemption? Did you look forward? Did you contribute? What did you do to bring it about? Or did you say, no, you know what? I like my Lord and Taylor and Nordstrom's and Boca. Boca's palm trees are pretty good. Life here is pretty good. Redemption, Shmemshin, who needs it? I'm pretty comfortable, I'm pretty happy, I'm pretty good. What do I need a base amikdash that if I turn the light on on Shabbos by accident, I've got to go buy an animal and make my way to the base amikdash and offer a sacrifice? Who needs it? I'm pretty happy without it. The um, the Achronim say that we fulfill this tzipis Yeshua and we say a semach david in Shmona Esrei. In our Amidah, if we have kavana, when we say a semach david, when we long for the sprouting of the redemption, that's how we can fulfill, that's how we can answer positively that challenge when we get upstairs. Tzipis Yeshua, did you long for it? So how do you long for it? It means tishmeru lahakriv li Even when we don't have a beis hamikdash and we can't bring this korbanos on those yamim tovim, tishmeru. We are mamten umetzapa. We are missing it. We are longing for it. We want it. We are living it in other ways. The musaf davening on, on Shabbos and on Yontif is all about because of our sins, we're not on the base of Mikdash. We long for when we can go up and when we can bring them. We are fulfilling this Tishmaru through our davening. The Apta Rav. Someone came to the Apta Rav and poured out his heart for his challenges. And he said to the Apta Rav, Why aren't you taking my, my pain into your heart? You're not feeling my pain. You're not very empathetic. So what did the Apta Rav say? You're upset that you don't see me broken over your tzaros? I don't see you broken over the fact that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. I don't see you broken over the losses, the challenge, the, the, the lacking of Klai Yisrael. 
that is a greater worry. Your challenges are the result of the Churban. We have to finish up, so this is not for now, but all the challenges we have, all the the obstacles we see are Silo Kashchina. It's because God has withdrawn His countenance from us. It's a lack of Hashras Hashchina. We are unworthy. God kicked us out of His house. You live at home with your father, takes care of everything for you. You're totally, totally ungrateful, rebellious, neglect what He asks you to do. He's tried over and over and over again. You're totally disrespectful. So He finally says, you know what? I have to practice tough love with you because you just don't get it. So you kicked out and I'm burning my house to the ground and I'm moving elsewhere and I'm not even telling you where so good luck you have to hit rock bottom that's exactly what Kodesh Baruch did to us a little bit differently he continues to be involved in our lives we have access to him but now it's over a phone call it's not that same access in person that we once had so that's a, that's a Kodesh Baruch's message on Tisha B'Av it says you've hit rock bottom I've tried to rehabilitate you over and over and over again and you just don't get it and therefore I'm kicking you out because it's just not good for you. Forget for me. So we should be longing. Our Father, we want to move back home. We want His protection. We want His support and love. Says the Aptarav, everything you're struggling is because we're not living at home with Dad. I don't see you broken over the fact that you're not living at home with Dad, with Abba, with Avinu Shabashamayim. Shir Hashem, Rashi says, is the song that carries us through the exile. What is Shir Hashem? It's a love story of longing for a romantic relationship with Hashem, of wanting to move back home, of wanting to share a bedroom with Hashem again. And this is our challenge in Galus. To long, to anticipate, to yearn. And this is what these three, thing, three weeks are about. These three weeks, what we began yesterday and we carry now for three weeks, hopefully less if the base of Mingdash is built. But for these next three weeks, what we lo- is, is a period where we're working on longing for things to be different. It's a period where we're working on trying to create the Jewish condition and create a new reality. These are days that we're willing to sacrifice and submit. Not everything has to be compatible with what we want. It has to be compatible with what He wants. Stretching those muscles till they tear and they not giving up then, but working even harder. Because once they're torn, we can grow even, even stronger. So we'll finish here but with the tefillah, the prayer and the hope that indeed we can stretch our emunah muscles, that we can fulfill the mandate of Torah, avoda gemilas chasadim, that whatever mission of our generation, that we fulfill that mission and we pass that mitzvah in a way that gives a nachas ruach, in a way that Hashem can be incredibly proud of us so that He will, Mir Hashem, welcome us back into His home.